Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It's a podcast that I record throughout the week and then I put it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the voice of Asheville, broadcasting to the world. Alrighty, folks, welcome to the show. I've got a great one for you this week. I have some celebrity guests that I interview, people who go to fancy places and meet fancy people and get fancy awards and stuff. And I'm just going to tease it like that and stay tuned to find out who those fancy people are. But in the meantime, let's talk about food. I have eaten a lot of food since the last time we spoke. I eat at least once a day. Sometimes, most of the time, every every day I eat more than once. And uh, so, yeah, let's just go over some of it. I met my friend Lucho up at All Day Darling in Montford on Montford Ave in the Montford neighborhood. And it was great. It was great, man. I mean, it's a super popular place, so it's never not busy but it wasn't like super busy uh when we were there so we got a table and i ordered a variety of pastries including a blueberry muffin and i think it was a raspberry danish and i also got the breakfast sandwich which i think is just called the standard or the old standard or something like that it's just a fried egg with cheddar cheese and a special herbed aioli And then you can get it on a bagel or a biscuit or a bun. And note the little rise in my voice when I said bun. I'll get back to that in a minute. But you can also choose your protein, bacon, sausage, no protein. There's probably a veggie option that I can't remember right now. But, uh, yeah, let's get back to that bun because I was like, a bun? Who who offers a, a egg sandwich on a bun around here? So I ordered it with the bun. It was a really beautiful, soft, white bun, uh, nice and moist and had a nice, shiny little top. And it was cute to look at. And it was not a huge sandwich, and I appreciated that. I do not always want to stuff a giant sandwich in myself for, for breakfast, you know? And... Boy, oh boy, it tasted great. It was really awesome. And I know that everybody loves, uh, I almost called it Todd's Tasties. Uh, Todd's Tasties was what it was called when I moved to town. And then Jacob Sessoms from Table and his wife, Alicia, they took it over. And they kept it Todd's Tasties for a while, but then they changed the name to All Day Darling. Uh, Which brings up, you know, name changes, branding, you you want to own if you want to own something you want to own it right so i think it was smart for them to keep the name todd's tasties for a while and that, that in a lot of ways that was a brilliant name but then the question is who's todd and was there ever a todd and who cares and i guess like i said if you own something you want to own it and jacob and alicia wanted to own the name as well so name change And I'm all about branding. Like, branding is my thing, or it was for a long time. I was a graphic designer. And uh, I I think that branding is important. And so if you got something that works, consider keeping it. But you do want to have your own brand on your branding, if you know what I mean. So good for them for changing the name. And good for them for making this wonderful egg sandwich that I recommend very much called the Standard Blueberry muffin and the Danish were also very, very good. And I, I've bumped the mic a couple of times. I hope that wasn't coming through all loud and stuff. Uh, uh, next next on my list of things I want to talk about was I took another trip. trip. I don't know why I pronounced it that way. Trip to uh, Sweets and Seats. And for some reason, I have a hard time saying that name. Sweets and Seats. And it's a sweets shop with coffee and such. And the sweets are very attractive. Like they look very perfect and cute and pretty and delicious. And I have now had like five different things from sweets and treats. 
and they're doing great. I have to say the French cheesecake was not my favorite, but let's move on past that because everything else was freaking awesome. I got this thing last time I went there that I didn't order. I almost did because of a name, but then I didn't get it because of what it was uh, or the description or what it looked like. That's right. Um, and the name was was Salted Caramel Cream Puff, I, I think. It had the word Salted Caramel in it. That's all I know. And I love Salted Caramel, so I was like, I'm going to get that. And then, But then I kind of looked at it, and I was like, that looks kind of boring. Even though it looked cute, like it had a little flower on it and stuff, but I was just like, mm, I don't want to be disappointed by that. So I didn't order it, but I met the owner, very nice woman, and she sent it out to me just randomly. She didn't know that I had been eyeballing it. She just randomly sent it out, and it was awesome. It was awesome, man. It it had... Uh, like a custard inside and i'm a sucker for custard man i you could probably fill an old shoe with some custard and i'd be like that's pretty good you know uh and um but i yeah i ate this thing it took me like three bites i tried to savor it but it's it's actually pretty small which is good because sometimes you want a small treat or sometimes you want a treat and a half and this is like a nice little half a treat and uh, another thing that she sent out to me was called a Dacoise, maybe? I'm not sure how to pronounce this one. Dacoise? It, and it's a dessert made with a meringue and a buttercream. And the meringue is somehow special. She explained it to me. It's a little chewier on the inside, a little softer and chewier on the inside than uh, a lot of meringues you might have had before. And it was freaking delicious. So as I said, I've tried five desserts. The other two, I think I already talked about on the show. And right now I cannot remember what they were. Maybe I've, oh, you know what? I had the chocolate mousse cake and it was excellent. And I've only had four of their desserts because the first time I went and I just got coffee and the coffee there, I've had cappuccinos. They're great. So sweets and seats on Patton Ave in downtown Asheville, right where Blue Dream Curry House used to be. And while I am still and will eternally be sad that Blue Dream Curry House is no longer here. I've seen a lot of stuff come and go out of this town, and it happens, and I'm sorry about that, but I am happy that a really nice sweets shop has occupied the space, and the space itself is quite nice. If you haven't been in there, get on in. All right, the next thing I want to talk about is Patty and I, my boss at Asheville Food Tours, we went on one of our famous Asheville Food Tours lunch junkets. And just in case you don't know what that is, it's just me and Patty having lunch together. And we do nothing but talk about food tours the whole time because Patty and I are obsessed with food tours. What's the best route? What are going to be the best bites? Can we get into this fancy pantsy restaurant? How much food do we need to feed these people? Do we have any Southern food on the tour today or is it all international? And these days, it's actually kind of hard to find a good old-fashioned Southern bite in downtown Asheville. And that's because the international scene in downtown is just popping right now. But um, and, and I will say rhubarb, the rue, and Tupelo honey, and to lesser degree, uh, Mayfell and Early Girl are kind of like your options for a good old-fashioned Southern bite. And y'all heard me rave about the Dirty South sandwich at the Rue. It is one of their amazing biscuits with pulled pork, collard greens, and pimento cheese on it, piping hot, getting all melty and stuff. You need a fork and knife to eat it. I already reviewed it. I don't know why I'm reviewing it again, just in case you didn't hear. So anyways, wow, I got pretty far afield right there. Patty and I went on a lunch junket to the Rankin Vault Lounge on Rankin Avenue, right downtown. A local favorite with all the red umbrellas out front. The burger at the Rankin Lounge won the Battle of the Burger, I think, seven years out of eight. And uh, they and their burger is awesome. And so Patty and I often go in there. It's one of our jams. And this time Patty got a just one slider of the burger, just one slider, just tiny little miniature hamburger a comically small version of their regular burger i often get two sliders i like the slider as a delivery method 
but uh, Patty just got one. And I wanted to try their cheesesteak. I'd never had it before. And I love the food at the vault. So I figured this would be pretty good. And it was. It was awesome. It was huge. And I also got tater tots. It came. It either came with or I added them on. I can't remember. But, yeah, big, huge plate of giant cheesesteak and ton of tater tots. And I have to say that it was actually pretty funny when they put the food in front of me and Patty, because if, you, if you've never seen the two of us together, Patty's a large guy. He's tall. He, he's broad-shouldered, big old dude. And I am a very small person. I'm short and I'm kind of thin. And uh, yeah, so we're, he's big, I'm small and out comes the food. And in front of him goes the slider. And in front of me is this giant pile of cheesesteak and tater tots. And I just thought that was kind of funny. That's all. Uh, and I shared my cheesesteak and my tater tots with Patty. In fact, I had to force him to eat his share because he got full. And I, there's no way I was going to be able to eat all of that. But the cheesesteak was really effing good. It was uh, tasty as can be. The cheese was so melty and delicious. The bun was just right, or the roll or whatever you want to call it, the hoagie roll. And the steak was sort of um, chopped. It wasn't sliced real super thin the way that, like, say, the cheesesteak at Manicomio, the beef is sliced so thin. This was more sort of chopped, and uh, it was really, really good. I enjoyed it tremendously. So super high recommendations for the cheesesteak at the vault. The slider, of course, Patty enjoyed very much. The tater tots are kind of famous for being awesome. So if you're a local, get on into the vault. If you're a visitor or you're planning a visit to Asheville, stay out of the vault. Leave it for the locals. Just kidding. You can visit the vault, too. Just behave yourselves and tip everybody well. All right, folks, uh, I'm going to take a little break right now, and then we'll come back and we'll have our interview with our celebrity guests. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody. I am back in studio here at Food Fan Headquarters. And this week I have a couple of real special guests with me. And I know I say that every week and all of my guests are very special. But And I've been going far abroad, uh, interviewing people in Canada and Kansas City and stuff. But today I'm back here in Asheville and I have two of the most lovely people in the food industry right here with me. I have Molly and Marwan Irani from Chaipani, Botiwala, Spicewala, Buxton Hall Barbecue. Am I leaving anything out, guys? Thank you, guys. You got it. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Molly, Marwan, how are you today? <laughs> Oh, thanks for having us, Stu. It's really nice to just get to have a conversation with you. We're doing great. Well, I'll speak for myself. I'm doing great. How are you, honey? <laughs> I'm doing great, too. Thanks, Stu. Always, always a pleasure to hang out and chat with you. Uh, indeed. And, and Molly, I don't think that you and I have had a proper sit-down chat since Chow Chow pre-pandemic. I when think you're right. You were sitting on a bench in Pax park and i and you said hey Stu," and i came and i sat with you and we had a really nice chat but a lot of stuff has changed since then molly yes it has and yeah what were we just calling it the before times <laughs> yeah the you you called it the shift and i said i've been referring to it as the blip and the glitch and there is the before times and the now times and boy have things changed and marijuana the last time i had a chat with you was not that long ago just a couple of weeks uh we ran into each other walking through downtown Asheville, and we talked about this very thing so why don't we first uh do some business chaipani of course won a james beard award in 2022 a fantastic indian street food restaurant i've been i've been a fan since way back in the day i, I beat james beard to it you know i gave you guys awards long ago uh but I'm still when james, have it on my wall yeah oh thank you so much and when but when james beard here and somebody award everything changes so let's talk about that first so you you get the award everybody knows that then what happened ah uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, what was interesting was that, you know, um, I, I feel like often it's sort of a restaurant that's newish, that's sort of like hot on the scene. 
that usually captures the attention and the imagination and tends to win, you know, awards like this. I mean, for us, we've been around for 13 years. I mean, come actually September, it'll be 14 years. And like you said, Stu, you, you, you know, you've been there for, for as far back as I can remember. And, you know, we've been building up this sort of steady but slow um, customer base and popularity over the years. Um, and I was obviously really curious to see how the, what are we calling this, honey, the shift? How, how the two years of COVID would impact how quickly people came back. Um, but for the uh, for us to win in 2022, Outstanding Restaurant, I mean, it, it not only it bottomed back, but it bottomed back and then some. Um, I, I think our business jumped close to 40% more than pre-pandemic than 2019. Oh, wow. And for us, yeah. And it's a double-edged sword, the notoriety, because while we were glad to see customers back, especially given the after effect of the pandemic and what we could see it doing to other businesses around town, um, we were also not equipped to deal with that jump in business, not just overnight, but coming right on the heels of two extremely difficult years when it came to staffing and you know, and, and production of our food and our systems and, and sort of like we were barely learning how to walk again, so to speak, coming out of the pandemic in terms of full service. And to be hit with this, it really rocked us. I mean, it was it was a rough summer um, mm-hmm. when that happened last year and, and us learning how to deal with the crowds, the uh, busyness, the expectations mm-hmm. of the folks that were coming in. Because, you know, uh, for us to win this, we're a small little uh, you been there of course a million times it's a little a little i like to call it a little indian cantina if you will you know not, not pretentious in any way or form neither is our food mm-hmm. um and i think a lot of folks didn't understand that and came in with expectations there were just um you know we couldn't meet them uh, mm-hmm. i'll be honest about that um at least th- those expectations for the folks that knew us and, and knew what to expect i think they were delighted uh, to discover us and i feel like there were certainly a lot of folks that uh, came in and said, oh, this is not what we thought it would be. And I, I don't know if they left delighted or not, but that was certainly something we dealt with. Wow. Um, that's very interesting because, of course, it is a known phenomenon that when small restaurants get too much attention, it can put them right out of business. And so for you to say all this, I wasn't, I myself wasn't aware of what a struggle it would be for you coming out of the pandemic to get this award like a blessing of course because everybody wants a line out the door but um yeah i mean i didn't even think about the impact of expectations i personally believe that expectations are joy killers like you should show up with no expectations and you'll be happier um so but when an outside entity puts all that weight on you and then you have to figure it out and you guys did you shifted with the times and you're still chugging along. Have things settled down, Molly? Or have things like kind of settled down a little bit? I think they have found their rhythm. Um, okay. They've definitely settled down. There's there's a there's an arc to some to the impact of an award like that. And mm-hmm. at the peak of the arc, there was pure madness and actually a lot of um, great comedic scenes going on with the level of mayhem that was happening. And um, I mean, I remember one day I I walked in and this was right at the peak of it where, mind you, I'll set the stage a little bit. We had almost an entirely new staff. Most of the people, because of the pandemic disruptions, most of the people that were in positions of leadership took on those positions during the pandemic. So they were running a very different business. They were running a takeout business primarily, and then had to go through all the transition of reopening our spaces. And that was the management team that had to deal with all of that change. And then all of a sudden, they've got lines going all the way down and around the block, around the flat iron construction scene that was happening on top of our patio. (laughs) Okay. You know, the scene was just unbelievable. The the line, we had to have all these crazy signs like stand here, turn there, turn right, don't go there, don't go here, because of this construction happening in the middle of everything. So there was one day where I, I call it my potato story, but it was a potato moment. Every restaurateur has a moment when they know that what is happening is not sustainable, but you're not quite sure what the fix is yet. And you're just burning all the brain cells trying to figure it out. So 
this was the peak of that arc. Okay. And I walk in Chaipani and my staff are deer in the headlights dealing with volume that this space has never seen before and was never built for. And I walk in the the walk-in cooler to get something. And at that point it was stacked two rows deep with, you know, crates of things because they couldn't find enough space to fit the product to make the amount of food that was needed. And I walk in to get something and there's a potato stuck on the shelf between two crates of things, which anyone who knows what a walk-in normally looks like, they're, they're fiercely organized systems, right? And everything is labeled and dated and has a particular container to live in and all this stuff. There's one potato sitting there. What the hell is up with this potato? So I take the potato out and people are like flying past me in the kitchen. And they're, they're swirly and blurry. And I'm holding this potato and I ask one of my kitchen managers, I'm like, what's up with this potato? And she was like, don't even talk to me about the potato. There is no space in this entire building for that potato. And so I went upstairs and um, Marijuana and I had the conversation with our executive team of like, all right, guys, we have to shift gears. And that leads to a whole nother story, which I won't get into at the moment. But the the very short Cliff Notes version of that is we had to close Nani's and reconfigure that space in order to be able to support the Chai Pani Kitchen. And we did it in like a 30 day turnaround time. Because the potato was the red red alarm fire going off, right? What that symbolized was we were imploding because uh-huh. of the business and we had to get our act together and figure out a fix. That's so great. That is such a great story. The potato. Um, now I know I was a huge fan of Nani's. I ain't going to lie. We were too. We loved it so much. It's so hard to close something you love. I had, I'm not even kidding. I had to stop following your, your nannies in Atlanta because it would make me too sad. I would see the nannies food come through my feed and I would be so sad. But now I know I don't blame you. I blame a potato. I blame the potatoes. I blame that potato. (laughs) Yeah. That potato cost us a great restaurant here in Asheville. Well, that's, that's fantastic. I don't think that people often think about, like the average person thinks about what a ton of notoriety does, not just for a restaurant, but to a restaurant. And I I don't know if you guys recall, but I was working for Kickback, the local delivery service during the pandemic. I couldn't do food tours. I got a job with Jenny at Kickback. I was designing menus. I was working with restaurants. I was calling in orders. I wasn't driving the orders anywhere. But I knew from seeing the back end, that you guys were slammed at Chaipani during the pandemic with takeout and delivery, like slammed. You were, there were days of the week where we were strictly a Chaipani and Rocky's hot chicken delivery service. Like that's, there there would be days where that's all we did. So it's not like you guys sort of slowed down during the pandemic. You were super busy, but, um, and then boom, lying around the building, construction, madness, closing a popular restaurant to maintain the super popular restaurant. Right. <sighs> All right. So let's talk about now one of my favorite restaurants in town. You guys know where I'm going. I love Buxton Hall barbecue. It is fantastic. Um, how now, Marijuana, when we ran into each other, we talked specifically about how Chaipani was somewhat on has been somewhat unaffected by the general shift. It has its own crazy mm-hmm. shift going on, mm-hmm. but Chai, but Buxton Hall is not unaffected by it. So can we talk a little bit about the state of things here in Asheville and how they affect Buxton Hall? Sure. I mean, you know, while I look outside my window, um, you know, which is above Chaipani and see the lines and the crowds outside, it's easy to just assume that Asheville is busy and hopping and back, right? Mm. But then I'd walk around, you know, and talk to other restaurateurs and and recognize that we were having a unicorn moment, obviously because of uh, of the pandemic. I mean, of the award, Chaipani, that is having a unicorn moment, um, and not everybody was essentially um, feeling like the town was back, and 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 Buxton for us was. Initially, I, I thought there was something wrong with the way we had brought Buxton back, that it had, you know, failed to somehow recapture that mojo that it had, you know, in 2019, which was its busiest year ever. 
But I recognized then after talking to enough folks around town that there was simply an overall um, sort of slowdown in business. And it's easy to, it's easy to sort of find blame with what the city is doing wrong or the officials are doing wrong or, you know, the tourism department's doing wrong. But I don't think it's any one thing. I think it's just a lot of little, little things that the pandemic affected that have been really, really difficult uh, to change. I mean, it's like a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a domino effect. Like, where do you start mm-hmm. in terms of figuring out? But I, I will say that even now as I walk around town, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Stu, there's definitely a difference in the vibe of what Asheville felt like. I mean, I miss the buskers. I miss the, um, you know, I miss the the local beat cops and their bicycles. Mm-hmm. I miss the, uh, you know, the, the, like when I ran into you on um, you know, a couple of weeks ago on the street. Well, I hadn't seen you in a long time, but that used to happen all the time, remember? Mm-hmm. I mean, it felt like you went walking around Asheville, you're going to run into somebody you know. Mm-hmm. And I, and and it may seem that, well, what does that have to do with tourism and business? But I think it's those attributes that make a town charming mm-hmm. and, 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 and loved and, and likable and create sort of this, you know, indefinable sort of like, you know, joie de vivre that people really you know, really can feel when they come to Asheville. And I think that's the part that's missing. I don't know how to fix it, but it's definitely had an impact on Buxton. I mean, I would say our business is down 20% from um, 2019. And I, like I said, I kept being paranoid that it's us, it's us, it's us. And then last week when the tourism department released its numbers, showing that overall tourism was down 17% between the months of uh, May, uh, you know, and, and July, it sort of made me validate that we're not crazy, that mm-hmm. everybody's feeling the impact, and also validated how lucky we were that Chaipani, um, you know, won, won what it won. So um, it's, it's um, you know, I mean, we're fortunate that we have so many enterprises going on that we can kind of, absorb the, the the loss of revenue and 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 you know bear the brunt if you will i really feel for restaurateurs where this may be their only restaurant or their only livelihood and for them to drop 17 percent, we all know how slim the margins in this business are um that's really hard to recover for especially when you couple that with the rising cost of uh, wages mm-hmm. and also the just uncertainty and the fluctuations of food costs um so it's been a pretty um, it, it's been a very dangerous combination, and I'm not using the word lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm worried that if this combination of things doesn't ease up in some direction or the other, whether it's the wages, whether it's the amount of folks that are visiting Asheville and what they're spending, um, that you're going to see more closures uh, down the road. And, and that's just a terrible down cycle for a town like Asheville to get into. Absolutely. A, a town that's had a lot of ups and downs throughout its entire history. And uh, we've been riding a wave for a while. I got here in 2005, and it was on its way up and yeah. crescendoed. And, oh, really? Oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. same year. Oh, okay. 2005, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. we, we all got to ride that wave. Absolutely. And it peaked in 2018, 2019. As a food tour guide at that time, I was like, man, it's too crowded downtown. They got to ease up on downtown with the... Like make these tours go elsewhere, like River Arts District. Yeah. yeah, and then boom, pandemic, everything changed for like the not just the worst, but the worst. And and now I feel like we're back up to 2015, 16 levels where it's not it's terribly busy during the week, and most weekends are pretty slamming downtown these days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, I, but, I, we, but we don't have those 2015 wages and rents and cost of doing business. And that's right. the deadly combination, you know, is, is, I mean, it, it's the double edged sword again of, of getting busier and busier and busier every year. The costs keep going up too. And then all of a sudden it drops up but significantly. The costs take a long time to come down. Yeah. 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 And that quagmire of how many people moved here during the pandemic that are bringing their incomes from outside where our, you know, our town is founded on, this industry, you know, this is such a big bulk of who actually lives here and they can't afford rent anymore. And so that that's a big piece of the puzzle that we're going to have to solve. 
Rent is a big piece of the puzzle. Um, you guys are probably aware of City Bakery closing their doors downtown. Yeah. They're staying open on Charlotte Street, thankfully, and the big facility will continue to make bread for the grocery stores and stuff. But uh, the owner cited to me the reason was uh, overhead and yeah. a slow summer. Uh, those yeah. were the two reasons he cited. And uh, so I, I think, you know, rents go up in the good times. I personally believe they should come back down in the bad times and that landlords should be a part of what makes Asheville, Asheville. And I, I hope that there's still enough landlords who live in Asheville to make that the case again. Well, that, um, that is a problem. I mean, we've seen a lot of um, landlords now, you know, ownership of buildings shift out of town and yeah. to sort of, yeah. And, and I mean, I partnered with the, um, Doug Ellington, you know, uh, to help mm. put the SNW building project together because I really wanted a local landlord to, you know, to to own that building and for it to not get sold because of a lack of, you know, business uh, or economic sense. And and um, you know, him and I have also partnered on a, another building in town um, that was up for sale, and it, it almost felt like a civic service to buy it <laughs> and and keep it local then see it gets snatched up by some reit based out of you know texas god bless him uh, no problem nothing against texas it's just a lot of them seem to be based out of texas <laughs> we we like to keep it local here in Asheville. Yeah, i mean our town has been saved before because of some fiercely cranky um, highly dedicated landlords that mm -hmm. saved the buildings. So um, we believe in that. <laughs> yeah, believe strongly. In yeah, we strongly believe in the buildings of downtown. The the actual buildings of our city are such an asset to our city. Absolutely. And Marilyn, that's the one I left out was S and W. I was I was oh, rattling right. through all your stuff and the beautiful, beautiful historic S and W building downtown, which you have partnered up to turn into a local food court with several food vendors. It's it's wonderful. I sometimes call you the king King Midas. I guess I should modify that to be the King and Queen Midas. <laughs> Of Asheville. Oh no, yeah. we've we, we've had our we've had our failures also. They just you know, kept them out of sight. <laughs> they don't get as much publicity. Um, yeah. So, but speaking of publicity and wonderful things, and I I swear you have so much going on. We need to schedule several segments throughout the year. But let's talk about something really unique. You guys paid a visit to Washington D.C. lately, and Molly, can you set it up and then Marwan uh, pitch in and tell us about this wonderful experience. Yeah. Well, I'm going to actually hand the mic to him on this one because this was a 100% culinary experience. And my focus in the business is the hospitality of our okay. environment. So I didn't want to take a spot from one of our chefs to be able to have this opportunity. So um, really wanted Marijuana and our chefs that have been with us from the beginning to get this experience. So I'm going to hand the mic to you for this one, honey. Tell them the story. It's pretty sure. Yeah. So there was a limited amount of folks that could go with us to DC. So Molly stayed back and I just took three of my chefs with me okay. so that they could all experience it. But yes, I, um, during the pandemic, I want to say about a year ago, I um, had received some email communications asking me if I wanted to be a part of the uh, American culinary Corps. And honestly, Stu, with all that was going on, I, I just shot an email back saying, sure, without really looking into what, what it was that I was signing up for. I thought it was some association, you know, American Culinary Corps. Well, it turns out it's a State Department and James Beard initiative where they have teamed up to create a diplomatic corps of chefs because so much of our diplomacy is around entertainment and, and hospitality. And, you know, when heads of state visit, there's state dinners and state lunches and state, you know, tea times. And and they wanted to showcase the diversity of uh, chefs in America from all over the world, you know, that all are Americans, but Korean Americans, Indian Americans, Chinese Americans, Vietnamese Americans, you know, and on and on and on. So um, when Narendra Modi, the prime minister of India, uh, was making getting ready to do a state visit uh, i believe it's now a month ago yeah uh, it was the end of june um the uh, i suddenly got an email saying hey chef remember you joined the american Party corps we'd love for you to come and uh and, and curate and cook the state luncheon that the um uh what do you call it the secretary of state 
and the State Department, along with the Vice President, uh, will be hosting. And um, Stu, I mean, I, you know, it's like in my 53 years, in, in the 53 years, I don't think a phone call i've ever had a phone call like that that literally sort of rocked me i mean uh-huh. just you know to see where this tiny little restaurant that i started in 20, 2009 had reached to where i'm getting a call from you know essentially to come and serve at what i would consider the highest level uh, for uh, for diplomacy in our country was just mind-boggling um, so, yeah, we, we work with their team. Um, it's an incredible team at the State Department and went there and uh, cooked a meal for 200 guests, including the Prime Minister of India and his entire delegation. Um, and I would say that the, the part that I'm the proudest of is um, the, that we pushed for um, an all-Indian vegetarian meal. Because um, normally uh, the State Department wants to present sort of an American meal with a nod to the guest country. Um, and I kind of felt like, you know, we had reached the point now in America's culinary story where a Indian chef, uh, an, well, an American chef of Indian origin could present the food of his country to the lens of where that person now lived, which is what I wanted to do. So I wanted to create a Indian meal for this delegation, but through the lens of being now an American that lives in the American South. So we had okra, we had sorghum, we had, um, you know, uh, spinach and and garlic scapes. I mean, things that are familiar if I was reading a list of ingredients to anybody that's grown up in the American South. Um, But at the same time, the dishes we presented were, you know, spinach stuffed samosas with um, green chutney. Well, it was a it was a green peanut and uh, mint and cilantro pesto. You know, again, the green peanut being familiar to us over here. In the south, and then the main dish itself, you know, we call it sorghum here in India. It's basically sorghum is a form of millet, and uh, it was the year of the millet in India. So we created a dish that was very traditional, uh, called a kichri. It's rice and lentils cooked together. Um, it's the first meal that you feed a baby as their first solid food, and it's also, you know, the quite possibly the chicken soup of the soul, if you will, in India for most Indians. This simple dish. So it, it was taking simple dishes and elevating them. Um, and and the last thing I'll, I'll say about the experience was, um, and you and I talked about this a little bit when we on the street was how how much my faith and belief in government was restored, and here's why. Every single person I met at the State Department deeply believed in this idea that no matter our differences and ideologies with other countries and the leaders of the countries, no matter how far apart we may be on the spectrum of democracy and liberty and human rights, that the only way progress can be made is to sit down and to try to have a conversation, to engage, to find common ground, to move the needle. Even the tiniest amount, they believe in this idea that that's how you do it. You sit down and you talk to the people that you don't see eye to eye with in an attempt to find some sort of common ground. And these folks have been doing this for five, seven, 10, 15 years. I met I met career diplomats that have been there forever. And uh, the fact that they have to see administration after administration yank them politically <laughs> from one side to the other, um, and, and if you will, almost undoing, you know, it's quite often the work that they put so many years into building these relationships with their counterparts in other countries. Um, it was really impactful for me to recognize that even though I may have very deep political differences with, you know, somebody that I may be feeding in my restaurant or being invited to do a state luncheon for, you still do it because it may not work. It may not work. It may not work. It may not work until it does. And and that's how you do it. And, um, and I came back just restored in our civil servants and how much they believe in what they're doing. Um, And, and it was one of the greatest uh, sort of and proudest moments of my life was to be a small part of that little that little civil core that is sitting around trying to make the world a better place one conversation one meal at a time that's fantastic i love that i i'm a deep believer in the u.s government you know the i mean it's flawed like everything in this of world course. everything of in this course. world is flawed yeah. but i'm a believer in democracy and and the ideals that we 
uh, hope for here in America. And y'all, I could talk to you forever, but we're running out of time here. I just, you're about to open Bodhiwala. We don't have much time to talk about that. Um, Just just super quick in in like a minute or two, Molly, can you tell us about Bodhiwala here in Asheville? Yeah, we're so excited about the opening of Botiwala. Um, We've been wanting to bring Botiwala to Asheville for a while, and we've just been waiting for the right moment. And this is it. We got the perfect spot over in West Asheville, um, which is we're very excited to be a part of that community. And, um, you know, Botiwala, we have one in Atlanta and we have one in Charlotte. And it's a really fun uh, take on our interpretation of Indian street food in the space of an Irani cafe, which if you don't know anything about an Irani cafe, it's sort of a a dying art form um, in India and it's part of Marwan's heritage. So when you come into Botiwala, it's our goal is to transport you to the streets of Mumbai, to an old crumbling um, Irani cafe that is basically a family story. And there's a family picture wall in there representing his family's history. And it's a slightly different side of um, the Indian street food, and it's in a more fast, casual environment. So it's counter service, it's super locals friendly, and obviously no reservations. And um, we're super excited about it. Honey, do you want to talk a little bit about the food difference? I mean, it's mostly grilled meat sizzling on an open grill, wrapped up in fresh naan with herbs and cilantro and some chutneys. Um, so it's a very, it's a very, uh, you know, while chai pani represents, I believe, the daytime street food of India, Botiwala represents sort of that nighttime street food of India. So I think folks are going to really love it. Fantastic. You said some of my favorite words right there. Grilled, grilled <laughs> meats, naan. I love that stuff. All right. Well, I uh, can't wait to try Bodhiwala. Um, I'm a fan of everything y'all do, um, I, it, except for I blame that potato, that dang potato. Thank you, potato going on. <laughs> my shame over here. Um, and thank you so, so much for being on my show today. It's always a pleasure to talk to both of you. It's really thank a pleasure you. to talk thank to you, Stu. Thanks for having us on. It's nice sure to thing. see you. Yeah, always likewise. fun. Always fun. Thanks again, Stu. All right. Have a great day, y'all. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview with celebrity guests, Molly and Marwan Irani. Uh, It's always great to talk to them. I've known them for a real long time, and they're super nice people, as you could tell from the interview. You could tell that yourself. Uh, Nice people make this world go around. Let me tell you that. There's a lot of jerks in this world, too, and sometimes the jerks seize power and are pretty prominent in our lives. But at the root of it all, there are nice people making this world a better place. Any hoodles, now I just want to break some news. I don't usually try to break the news because it's actually kind of stressful to try to keep up with breaking news. But I posted a press release the other day on Facebook. I just shared a press release that a PR company sent me, and it got a tremendous response and a positive response. So I wanted to share it with you, too. And I was surprised, actually, that it got a great response. There's a new hotel opening up in Asheville at the in the River Arts District, uh, the Rad, if you will. So this hotel is called the Radical, and it's going to be uh, down there by the Phil Mechanic Building. So like right right down there in the River Arts District. And I think what people were most excited about here in Asheville is that there's going to be three restaurants. All three restaurants are going to be um, branded by. J- Jacob Sesum- Sesums, J- Chef Jacob. I don't know why I stumbled over that so hard, especially since I already talked about Chef Jacob in context of uh, All Day Darling in this podcast. But yeah, Chef Jacob is branding all of these restaurants. There's one that's called a the Golden Hour. Okay, the Golden Hour, the downstairs wood fire chop house, it is called. Um, locally sourced farm driven ingredients. Uh, barbecued Japanese sweet potato skewers, NC fish crudo, country captain corn salad. I've never heard of that. I'll have to find that out. Whole roasted pig, whole lobster and chicken, slow grilled porchetta, 
uh, Carolina Wreckfish, Pork Blade Steak. I'm just reading off of this press release here. Crayfish or crawfish, if you will, beignets. Uh, I'm excited to try those, but skeptical because I love crawfish, but I can't never find no good crawfish in this town. Nah, nobody's doing it right. So anyways, uh, also calamari deviled crab dip. I like the sound of that. Uh, beverage program, classic cocktails. Uh, then they're, they're going to be a, a cafe that turns into a bar at night called Afterglow. Uh, the coffee bar that will evolve into a cocktail lounge each night. The morning, noon, and night spot will offer daytime counter service from 7 to 4, featuring pastries, light breakfast, and leisurely lunch. Then 4 to midnight, Afterglow will convert into a down-tempo space serving handcrafted cocktails and light dinner with quote-unquote vibey music. And I guess I should have thrown quotes around the whole thing because I read that all directly off of their press release. And then finally, on the roof, there will be a rooftop bar called The Roof. But the roof will be a 125-person capacity rooftop bar overlooking the French Broad River and the River Arts District, open from noon to midnight, bar service, la-di-da. You can read more about it on my Facebook page or on ashvegas.com or subscribe to Jason Sanford's Ash Vegas newsletter, and you'll be ahead of foot and abreast of all the breaking news in Asheville. And, uh, yeah, there you go. I I. I was surprised by how excited Asheville was about a new hotel. Usually Asheville just complains about hotels, but maybe Asheville is more nuanced than I thought because my complaint about the hotels in Asheville is not necessarily how many they are, but how concentrated they are in downtown. Downtown has too many hotels already, and they're building a new one right across the street from another one. And they're jam-packed right up to the sidewalk. And for the most part, they're ugly as sin. And I don't mind saying that. For the most part, the hotels in this city are freaking ugly. Uh, the renovation hotel did a pretty good job of making a pretty nice building. But, yeah, no. But this, uh, this um, what's it called again? The Radical Hotel. It looks pretty nice. You know, it's in an old, old building. So it's got a real retro look. The the renderings are really nice. They hired some artists, not all of them local, but uh, hopefully some of them to paint the walls and the rooms. You can see pictures and stuff online. All right. And just one more thing before we say goodbye. And that is a quick review of the restaurant Rhubarb right downtown. I mentioned it earlier in the podcast as a place you can get a real authentic Southern bite right in the middle of downtown Asheville. And I went there to do just that the other day. I had looked at their menu ahead of time. I saw that they had some pimento cheese hush puppies on the menu. And I said, I'm going to go try those. And my my purpose was to see if I might want to add them to my food tours. And so I told Don, after my food tour tonight, I'm going to go to Rhubarb. I'm going to eat these hush puppies and then I'll come home. And she ended up being downtown right around the time my food tour was ending. So we met each other at the bar at Rhubarb. She had a drink and I ordered the Hush Puppies and they're just as awesome as they sound. They were deep fried to perfection, very crispy uh, pimento cheese mixed in with the cornmeal, I guess. I'm not sure how they achieve that. I don't want to try to figure out the magician's tricks, but in uh, a nice big portion of comeback sauce to dip them in they didn't skimp me on the sauce you guys know i love me a good sauce so i was very happy about that uh and so the hush puppies were great and then don said well let's just eat here so we ordered uh one thing off of their entree to share we don't need a ton of food and the hush puppies were plenty um and so we got a big old nice piece of fish and it was it was not big in terms of like flat and took up a lot of the plate. It was big in terms of it was tall and meaty and big and, and juicy and stuff. 
And it was cooked to perfection, very flaky, very flavorful. I think it had some shallots and stuff chopped up on top. It came with a little side of vegetables that included like miniature zucchinis and stuff like that. And it also had a nice sort of uh, mustardy dipping sauce, a, a tartar sauce, I think, that was had some, not mustardy, like a tartar sauce. It had some tang to it. It was, it was like lemon and mayonnaise, I guess, an aioli type of thing it came with. And it was freaking delicious. And then we sat there and the kitchen actually sent out a few more dishes and we ended up eating a lot of food and the other dishes or we, no, we ordered a salad to go with our entree and we ordered the pancetta with fresh heirloom tomatoes. And it was awesome. Like I can't get enough pancetta, pancetta, the crap out of me, Asheville. Um, and so a nice bread salad with fresh tomatoes and herbs. And then the kitchen sent out a couple more dishes that were also very tomato heavy. And so we ate a lot of tomatoes that night and it was uh, all great. And that's because tomatoes are in season and rhubarb is one of the most seasonal restaurants in downtown Asheville. And so eat your tomatoes now at rhubarb while you can, because once they're gone from harvest, like they can't harvest them anymore, I'm pretty sure they disappear from the menu as well. They're, they're that kind of a seasonal restaurant. So go on into rhubarb, try those uh, pimento cheese hush puppies, get the fish, try the other stuff. Anything with a tomato on it, get it while you're there. And that's my review of rhubarb. All right, folks, let's say goodbye. Thanks for listening. Thanks to my guests for being on the show. And thank you, WPVM 103.7 FM, the voice of Asheville, broadcasting to the world for taking my humble podcast and turning it into a radio broadcast. I think that's pretty cool. Please find me online. My name is Stu Helm, food fan on Facebook, Instagram, and Substack. And if you eat something good, let me know about it. All right. Bye. Folks, I just want to remind you that Western North Carolina is one of the hunger hotspots of America. Although we might think of Asheville as Food City, USA, there are a lot of folks who live in and around here who are dealing with food insecurity on a daily basis. So if you can, please give to Mana Food Bank. Mana has been providing food to the people of Western North Carolina for 40 years. They do a great job and they are a wonderful organization. So again, if you're able, please go to manafoodbank.org. That's M-A-N-N-A, manafoodbank.org and give what you can to help out fighting hunger here in Western North Carolina. And now back to the show.